0: following letter is from a circular letter from the ministers and messengers of the several Baptist churches composed in the Kent and Sussex Association called hints to parents on seeking the conversion of their children June the first and second of 1830 Christian brethren it would be easy if necessary to show that many advantages are afforded by means of circular letters on religious subjects we may observe, for example, that they present to the writers of them opportunities of treating on particular points which, although of the greatest importance and utility, may not appear to all Christians to be suitable for public preaching. We feel assured that you only need reminding of the affecting fact that your children as really need converting and saving as those of the ungodly or of the ignorant and idolatrous heathen. You were taught by the word of God to believe that the depravity and guilt of Adam extended their polluting and destructive effects to all his descendants, for sin entered the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned, Romans 5.12. You know that grace and holiness are not hereditary, they are conveyed by natural descent. For the offspring of the most holy persons are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. Both the sacred scriptures and your own observation have furnished you with instances of the children of godly parents being exceedingly vile. The sons of the good old prophet Samuel were greatly oppressive, covetous, and unjust. His sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment for Samuel 8 verse three also you have known the children of some eminently pious persons to have become through their wickedness thorns in the eyes and daggers in the hearts of their parents and have pierced them through with many sorrows and no doubt you have often been grieved to see the early and repeated proofs of depravity which the members of your own family have exhibited in spite of all your care to prevent and suppress them hence when you remember that they are immortal yet by nature and by practice depraved and guilty. And therefore, children of wrath, even as others, you must be convinced that they greatly need to be converted and saved. And does it not appear, brethren, that the nature and design of the Christian religion require parents to care for the souls of their children? All Christians are called to a life of activity here as well as to eternal salvation hereafter. They are to be the lights of the world and the salt of the earth to support and extend the preaching of the gospel and to pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth more faithful laborers into his harvest. Thus, dare to live useful lives, and both by prayer and exertion to seek the salvation of the lost and the glory of Christ. Hence they have thought it to be their duty to establish and support Bible, missionary, and Sunday school societies and to encourage all prudent and benevolent endeavors to effect the conversion and salvation of men. But if it be right for us to desire and seek the eternal welfare of others, ought we not to be equally anxious for the fruit of our own body? Can it be proper that amidst a thousand compassionate thoughts for the rest of mankind our own children should have no room? Both natural feelings and the Christian religion urge us to seek diligently their conversion and salvation. Whilst our Lord Jesus Christ was on earth, he almost entirely confined his labors of love and mercy to the people of his own nation. When he sent forth his servants to preach and heal diseases, he commanded them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. After a poor man had been delivered by him with a legion of devils, he prayed him that he might be with him, Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee, and had compassion on thee. When Andrew had become one of his followers, he first finds his own brother Simon and says to him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. All these things show that the religion of Christ both requires and induces us to endeavor to be useful in leading perishing sinners to the Savior, and especially in leading our relatives to Him. But if so, it must necessarily direct and incline parents to lead their children to Christ. We believe, brethren, that you will find that the Lord has in every age enjoined it upon His people. It's a duty to seek the conversion of their offspring. The Jews were often reminded how carefully, plainly, and frequently they were to instruct their children in divine things. The words of Asaph will convince us of this. I will open my mouth on a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, show to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. In his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It might not be as her fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Psalm 78, 2-8 The same duty which was enjoined on Jewish parents now devolves on Christians, for it is most plainly enforced in the New Testament. Thus wrote the Apostle Paul, And you fathers, Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6 verse 4 If then it be your delight to do the will of God, and if you make his holy word the rule of your conduct, you will most diligently and anxiously seek the conversion of your children. A pious parent must often feel very great distress when he looks upon his children who are in unconverted state. If he is favored with great spiritual enjoyments, how natural is it for him to wish that his offspring felt the same. And how painful to think that they neither know nor desire them. When they leave the parental roof, how many fears and forebodings will be occasioned by their removal if they are destitute of piety. Should any contagious disease rage around him and thin the families of his neighbors he will be distressingly alarmed lest it should seize on his unconverted children and hurry them into eternity totally unprepared to meet their God. If they should be cut off in the midst of their sins, his sufferings must be great and long. A dreadful to think that those whom he so tenderly loved have perished in eternal misery what horror he will feel when he sees cause to fear that their departed spirits are tormented in eternal flames, and must be finally condemned at the day of judgment. Such thoughts will haunt him like a spectre, will follow wherever he goes, will hold him waking at the midnight hour, will produce distress too great for utterance, and be ten thousand times worse than the most painful death he could have suffered. If he be taken from them, the thought of their guilt and danger will disturb his mind at his departing hour, and render dying a hard work. Therefore, if you would avoid these distresses, seek the conversion of your children, by which they will be prevented. But when the children of pious parents exhibit undeniable evidences of decided piety... It must be a source of inexpressible joy to their parents the appeal must be fearlessly made to you who are so highly favored whether this remark be not correct would you not rather see them poor in this world yet rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom god has prepared for them that love him then endowed with the greatest intellectual gifts enriched by the most varied and extensive acquirements possessing abundant wealth Fame for great and laudable and useful deeds, holding honorable and exalted stations and loaded with noble titles, yea, then enjoying all that the world calls good or great. As you know piety to be the chief good, the true riches, the highest honor, and an everlasting portion you desire them to be possessors of this above all things, and you rejoice more on account of their piety than anything else pertaining to them. How sweet must it be for pious parents to talk with their children on religious subjects, till their hearts burn within them with love to Jesus, whom both feel to be the chief among ten thousand and altogether lovely, what delight it's afforded to a godly parent to hear his son pray, to see him make a public profession of religion, to sit with him at the table of the Lord and to behold him grown up into Christ and live into his glory. If such a one be suddenly removed by death, and under very afflicting circumstances, though he be an only child or the chief stay of the family, yet the hope of his eternal safety will greatly assuage the grief of the bereaved parents and gradually work resignation. And if the parents be first called away, they can leave their pious children with the greatest peace. We have reason to expect also that the pleasure their piety afforded on earth will extend to heaven. For if the Jews were taught to consider it a principal attraction of heaven, that there they would meet with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And if good men have rationally expected it would be a high gratification to meet in glory those whom they have known, loved, or revered on earth. We may believe it will afford a great degree of delight for parents to meet their children, and children to meet their parents in the state of blessedness where both will be without fault, before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple forever, and then you must naturally desire this high and heavenly delight. You must be convinced it is your duty to seek the conversion of your children, and therefore it is plainly the duty of godly parents to seek the conversion of their children. So likewise it may be shown that they have it in their power to use various means adapted to secure this important and desirable result. Some of these means we shall present to your notice. Make their conversion an object of frequent and fervent prayer. This exercise you have been taught is a duty and you have found to be a great privilege particularly so on particular occasions. It is by prayer you are to seek all general and special blessings. Now, it cannot be a matter of uncertainty whether or not the conversion of your children be a proper object of prayer. You know it to be your duty to seek their conversion. And can you suppose a more suitable and effectual means of securing this? than prayer, is it not one of all the things for which you are to make known your requests to God? As you are aware, it can only be effected by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you not to seek by earnest prayer for his divine and renewing operations on their minds. Are you to pray for the extension of the Savior's kingdom in the world? And should you not pray that it may extend among your families and that your children may be added to his subjects? We beseech you, therefore, to seek this blessing by frequent and fervent supplications. Pray. For your children in private, assemble them every day at your family altar. Be copious in confessing their guilt, in lamenting their danger, and in desiring their conversion. Pour out in their hearing the fullness of a parent's soul for the eternal welfare. When they enter upon any new station in life, and especially when they remove beyond your observation and control, pray with them, and for them part. To the throne of grace, and there, most earnestly request that if you never meet again on earth, you certainly may before the throne of God in glory. And for this object, we entreat you to pray without ceasing. If you are required to wait long for an answer, if all your prayers seem to be in vain, and you see them still loving sin and living in it, yet do not cease to pray for them, But remember it is still your duty to do so that while there is life there is room for hope that the prayers of some parents for their children have not been answered till long after their removal to heaven and that how guilty and hardened soever they may be jesus is still mighty to save and strong to deliver let your prayers for their conversion begin at their birth and never be discontinued till you have obtained the object you seek or you for they are removed by death. Remember, some of them are children of prayer. You have asked them of the Lord, and when they have been sick and apparently dying, you have earnestly requested their recovery. These petitions have been granted you, and now, is it not right that you should consecrate them wholly to the Lord and never cease to pray for their eternal salvation? To prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you begin very early to endeavor to train them up in the fear of the Lord, you will undoubtedly be using means which are adapted to secure the object you seek. Is their minds open? Make it your aim to fill them with correct religious truth and to work in them deep religious impressions. Endeavor to teach them in a simple, plain and affectionate manner is they are able to receive it something of God and of themselves, of sin and of righteousness, of heaven and of hell, store their memories with interesting portions of the word of God, strive to induce them to revere its author, and to love its truths, and endeavor to excite in them a desire to read and understand it. Tell them of the depravity and guilt and ruin of all human beings, Point out to them the evil of sin and its dreadful consequences. Talk to them freely and copiously of the grace, sufferings, and mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lead them often to Calvary, for the sufferings of Christ will be more adapted to interest and affect them than any other religious subject. Instruct them that repentance for sin and faith in the Son of God are indispensable to their salvation. Most distinctly inform and frequently remind them that they are responsible, dying, and immortal beings, and that they must certainly stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive according to the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Entreat them to flee from the wrath to come and to seek eternal life. Teach them to pray both for themselves and others, especially for a new heart, for repentance and faith and for all that is necessary for their salvation, put into their possession books of an awakening character, memoirs of eminently pious persons, and works on the most important religious subjects written in a plain and pleasing style. Accustom them to keep the Sabbath day holy, and to attend public worship. Examine them frequently on what to hear in the house of God and at the same time encourage them to attend seriously to a preached gospel, to strive to remember what they hear, and to ask information on anything they have heard and did not understand, but particularly remind them that the gospel they hear will be to them either a savor of life and a life, or of death and a death, and will either lead to their salvation or aggravate their future eternal misery. Do not think it either unnecessary or useless to begin to seek their conversion while they are quite young. Remember, you may then produce impressions and convictions that will never be entirely removed, but end in that change of heart and character which you so earnestly desire. Be encouraged in these endeavors early begun by recollecting it is possible for children to become possessors of religion at a very early age, of which fact both the sacred scriptures and uninspired records afford numerous proofs. Josiah was but eight years old when there was found in him some good thing towards the Lord God Almighty. Samuel who was very young when the Lord called him. And of Timothy it is said that from a child he knew the holy scriptures, which they were able to make him wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and probably those holy scriptures imparted heavenly wisdom and saving knowledge to him while he was a child. Christian mothers, allow us most affectionately to remind you, that the above name means as seeking the conversion of your children may be, and indeed in many cases must be, more frequently used by you than by your pious companions. On those means, we have prescribed a course of labor for the good of your offspring, which divine providence has afforded you the opportunity of performing. And we have mentioned endeavors, which it is your special duty to make. While your children are young, you are with them more than their fathers can be. And consequently, you have more opportunities than they have given them religious instruction. And where the business or profession is on an extensive scale, or the father holds some public station, and therefore is varied in numerous engagements. It is almost impossible for him to be much with his family, and consequently if the religious instruction of his children be left to him, it must be very much neglected. It follows that the work of training up the children of pious parents and the fear of the Lord in a very great degree devolves upon the mother because she has more opportunity of doing so than the father can have. In former times, it was a general practice with Christian parents for one or both of them to employ part of the Sabbath holy with the children and servants, catechizing them, praying with them, and giving them instruction on the essentials of religion. A return to this practice would greatly conduce to the spread of religion in the families of the godly, on this point we request you to consider what we say, and the Lord give you understanding. It appears to us, brethren, that if religion have a preeminent place in all your secular and domestic arrangements, and it manifest itself in a mild, gentle, and lovely deportment, your conduct will be likely to produce good impressions on the minds of your children, and to win them to Christ if your attention to religion be principally confined to the Sabbath, if you are humble only when engaged in acts of devotion, only serious when afflicted and tried, only meek to superiors on whom you are dependent, and if during the week you are wholly absorbed by secular concerns, and in managing them you are austere, irritable, worldly, and trifling, your conduct will produce in your children impressions most unfriendly to religion, for it will counteract your religious instruction, lead them to the most awful carelessness about their souls, and bring into operation the natural enmity of the heart to all that is good. But if, on the contrary, Christ dwell in your heart, in the life you live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God, if you regulate your dealings by Christian principles, and if you generally exhibit the spirit of Christ, you will by thee things be likely to produce in their minds convictions of the reality and excellency of religion, and a strong bias in its favor. When you discover great consistency of character, and imminent piety and amiableness, your conduct will silently and powerfully work on your children in some cases be blessed at their conversion, and in others be employed as a means of preparing them to receive the truth as it is in Jesus. These remarks are not visionary or unscriptural. For our Lord Jesus Christ has taught us that eminent goodness and ch- Christian consistency will redound to the glory of God and the welfare of others. Let your light so shine before men, that... They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If the exemplary conduct of pious wives was adapted to produce great and good effects on their ungodly husbands, as the Apostle Peter has affirmed in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, we may reasonably expect that similar conduct in Christian parents will have a similar influence on their children. Therefore, brethren, be holy, be eminently holy. Be amiable and consistent in your conduct, and let your religion have a preeminent place in all your secular and domestic concerns, for in so doing you will bless your households. Further, it will be necessary for you to exercise your judgment and to use your parental authority in selecting and regulating their amusements and companions. While they are young, they will of course want amusements. But you must be careful not to allow them, such as are sinful and adapted to awaken, gratify and strengthen the evil dispositions of their hearts. And as they grow up, they will naturally desire and select companions. But it must be your aim to preserve them from such as are of a moral character, of infidel opinions or of loose habits. Do not let their sports be cruel or vicious. Or allow them such plays will incline them to gambling. If they ever wish to attend fairs or horse races or card parties or the theater or balls or any midnight assemblies, forbid them point out the evil of such amusements. Use your authority to restrain them. Find them some better recreations. If you allow them such sinful amusements as have been mentioned, you need not be surprised if all your prayers and endeavors for their conversion be in vain. You'll have reason to charge yourselves with the great guilt of strewing the path to future misery with flowers, and actually leading your children to destruction while you profess to desire and seek for their salvation. We would recommend to you, dear brethren, to consider carefully the character of the youth and others, who may court their company or be chosen by them as associates, if they wish to have as their playmates and companions the children of the wicked, dissuade them from forming a connection, or prevent them from doing so, encourage them to associate with the children of the righteous who have been brought up in the fear of the Lord. And when you are compelled to place them out in the world, do not, if you can possibly avoid it, commit them to the care of ungodly persons. For their conversation and conduct will tend to wear off the impressions which your instructions have produced and to destroy the good it has been effected by your labors. But make it your principal care to place them with such as fear God. Thus, acting. You'll discharge your duties by his parents, and consequently you will not only be clear from their blood, but may expect to see that your labors are not in vain. For the word of God teaches you to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. We affectionately admonish you, brethren, that you do not wickedly backslide and depart from the Lord, lest by so doing you should bring the curse of God on your families and seal the ruin of your children. You are assured by the unerring word of the Lord that if his people forsake his law, and walk not in his judgments, if they break his statutes and do not keep his commandments, and he will visit their transgressions with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. And the same word likewise teaches you that the Lord sometimes punishes the sins of his backsliding people by the great wickedness and final ruin of their children. The sin of Jacob, in defrauding Esau of his birthright, was severely punished. He deceived his father, and his children in their turn deceived him, and it was in a way that gave him great pain. It was the sin of David by adultery with Bathsheba, and by the murder of Uriah, it brought the curse of God upon his household and innumerable evils among his children, 2 Samuel twelve nine to eleven no doubt when Absalom rebelled against him, drove him from a throne, sought his life, and perished in his crimes. David remembered the words of Nathan, and saw in all that occurred the dreadful effect and punishment of his departure from God. And it is probable that if we could ascertain the effect which a backslider's conduct generally has on his own family, it would be found, in many instances, to have been the ruin of some of his children. The Lord is a jealous God, visiting the sins of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Then, brethren, if you desire the conversion of those who are your own flesh, take heed. Did there not be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Finally, brethren, we request you not to overlook nor forget the abundant encouragement you have to use the above-named means for the conversion of your offspring and confidently to expect they will succeed.